I want to jump into our Bible study tonight. I will read one verse of Scripture in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. The Bible said, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. To put it in Murphy translation, Thou shalt not lie. Researchers tell us that some of the brightest minds in the world are criminal. It's an odd paradox that actually makes sense once you step outside of the obvious ethical issues. These are masterminds behind complex schemes and astonishingly brazen acts of deception. They're, they're able to carry out their crimes with such success because they absolutely have no conviction, conviction against lying. One such criminal genius is a man you see on the screen. He's a man by the name of Frank Abugnail, is how you pronounce his name. He's appeared on most every major radio talk show. He's been on Focus on Family. He now works with hundreds of financial institutions, corporations, and even government agencies to combat forgery. And he certainly has expertise in that area. Frank cashed $2.5 million in fraudulent checks in 27 countries between the time that he was 16 and 21 years old. It's pretty amazing. That's quite an accomplishment. Frank was born April 27, 1948. Uh, He's an American security consultant known for his history as a former confidence trickster, check forger, and imposter. He became one of the most famous imposters to ever live, claiming to have assumed no fewer than eight identities. Y'all keep in mind that he's between age 16 and 21. Watch your teenagers. Amen. Um, But he's claimed to have no fewer than eight identities, including being an airline pilot between ages 16 and 21, a physician actually in an operating room, He was a U.S. Bureau of Prisons agent, and he was also a lawyer between ages 16 and 21. This cat was, he was quite an operator, to say the least. He escaped from police custody twice, once from a taxiing airliner, and once from a U.S. federal penitentiary. He served less than five years in prison before starting to work for the federal government. He is currently a consultant and lecturer for the FBI Academy and field offices, and he also runs Abugnail Associates, a financial fraud consultancy company. His incredible success with forgery was only possible because Frank was able to brazenly deceive people from all walks of life. It is now more than 40 years since he became first known as the Great Imposter. His life story was depicted in the best-selling book, Catch Me If You Can. I read it years ago. It's a a fascinating read that documents some of the extraordinary deceptions Frank pulled off just to have access to money. He did all of this just so he could have money. First of all, he duped between ages 16 and 21 years old. He duped the entire airline industry into thinking that he was a Pan Am co-pilot and literally flew around the world for free. He got certified and hired by an attorney's office in the southern United States, then passed the state's bar exam in only four months, despite never setting a foot in a law classroom. 
He taught a summer semester in sociology at a small Utah college, despite having no previous knowledge on the subject, and received such rave reviews that the college wanted to hire him full-time. He got certified and actually ran an entire shift of the pediatric wing of a medical center near Atlanta without taking one single course in medicine. How would you like having your kid in the hospital during that time under the watchful eye of a kid between 16 and 21? He carried out some incredible deceptions in the banking industry, making possible, or made possible, excuse me, by the naive trust of checking uh, and night deposit customers. Precisely because the criminal mind has no conscience about lying. Frank is a firm believer that the only course of action open to banks, companies, and governments is prevention because punishment is so ineffective, he says. It's just too easy to lie. According to the New York Times, 91% of North Americans lie on a regular basis. The majority of us find it hard to get through a week without lying, and 20% of us can't make it through a single day without lying at least once. The Washington Post reports people lie 92% of the time to save face and 98% of the time to prevent offending someone. It's when your spouse comes out in that new outfit outfit and says, Honey, do I look good? That is the most difficult place to be honest. You're doomed if you do, and you're doomed if you don't. Anyway, we've all been faced with situations when telling the truth was difficult and lying is the much easier option. Even Time Magazine did a cover a number of years ago called Lying. Everyone's doing it. Our culture's casual view of lying is perhaps most to blame for this trend. After all, our government, media, schools, and most religions now promote situational ethics, teaching that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Two-thirds of us now agree with that statement, and two-thirds of us say it's nothing wrong with telling lies. Why would it be if there's no such thing as truth anyway? Only one-third of us now agree with the statement, honesty is, in fact, the best policy. Many Americans revere our first president, George Washington, for his impeccable honesty. After all, the story of him cutting down a cherry tree with his hatchet as a small child and then speaking the immoral words, I cannot tell a lie, when confronted by his father, is legendary, according to U.S. News and World Report. Even that story is a lie. It was concocted by an ex-preacher, go figure, named Mason Weems to humanize Washington's boring image. He was the original spin doctor. Dr. Leonard Keeler, inventor of the lie detector machine, has tested thousands of individuals and has come to the conclusion that human beings are basically deceptive. Even Shakespeare wrote about it. Who can know what goes on in the heart of a man? Only the shadow knows, and he'll never tell. People now expect politicians and anyone else in the public eye to lie if it serves their purpose. It is a given that even something that is not a right-out lie, then it is probably a partial truth, a spin, or a distortion. And why are so many of us complacent with this reality? Because it lowers the standard against which we have to measure our own selves. But the biblical standard taught by the ninth commandment is much higher. It's an absolute. Speak the truth, the Bible says, 
Do not lie. Proverbs chapter 6 says that there are six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, and false, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discard among the brethren. Did you notice that two of the seven things that God hates has to do with lying? Why? Because God is the epitome of truth. And lying goes against the very fiber of who he is. Hebrews chapter 6 says that it's impossible for God to lie. The psalmist said, In thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He told the woman at the well in Samaria, he said, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The the cesspool of evil, which has now flooded our planet, began, it all started with a lie. When the serpent contradicted the command of God with his words to Eve, thou shalt not surely die, he said. So when we choose to lie, we adopt Satan's character. And we act like him. Jesus said, speaking of the devil in John chapter 8, you, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So nothing destroys the credibility of a Christian quicker than lying. It's funny how, as the statistics that I just shared with you earlier say that people are so comfortable with lying, is it still not a resolute truth that people hate being lied to? So the next time you want to fib, imagine how you would feel if it was the other way around. So bottom line, you can't serve the God of truth with a mouth that spews forth lies. Our society has conditioned us to, to minimize the seriousness of lying, and that's why it is so hard to break the behavioral pattern. Parents, confront dishonesty out of your children whenever you detect it in your children. The sooner you disrupt the pattern, the easier it will be to break. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He said in Colossians chapter 3, lie not to another, seeing that we have not put off, uh, seeing that we have put off the old man with his deeds. The psalmist said, he that worketh deceit shall not dwell in my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. So the Bible is very strong, very clear, very adamant about liars. So what is a lie? By definition, lying is simply an intention to mislead. It's when you tell a half-truth, you're telling a whole lie. You can lie by falsifying information, or you can lie by withholding information, and you can even lie without saying a word. The King James Version tells us not to bear false witness, so whenever we carry false information, we are violating the spirit of the Ninth Commandment. One teenage boy was supposed to be home by his curfew one night at midnight. 
supposed to be home by 12 o'clock midnight. Instead, he came home at 2 in the morning. Everyone was asleep, and so as he crept up the stairs, he stepped on one that creaked loudly and woke up his dad. His dad said, is that you, son? His dad asked, said, yes, it's me. The dad said, what time is it? And before he could say anything, the cuckoo clock struck twice. The boy later said, it was the most ingenious moment of my life when I stood there and cuckooed ten more times. We might want to rehearse that sometimes. It might come into, you know. So once you understand the motivation behind lying, then you can deal with the real issue. As lying is not your real problem, it's just the symptom of a deeper problem. So perhaps it'd be helpful to categorize lies according to the motivation behind them. St. Augustine said around 300 or so A.D. that there's eight different kinds of lies. Mark Twain said there's 869 different ways you can lie. But we'll save a little bit of time tonight and only talk about five. Is that okay? I don't know that you'd have time for... Who hollered yes real loud? I want to see you after church. Um, But... uh, We'll we'll save some time here tonight. The first lie that I want to talk to you about, and and some of this will will come across in jest, but there's a hardcore truth to this, that as Christian people, there's one thing that we ought to represent, and that is the truth. And everybody said amen. The first lie that I want to talk to you about tonight is the cruel lie. The motivation behind it is resentment. It's the kind of lie you tell to get revenge on someone who's hurt you. You hurt me, so I'm going to start telling some untruths about you. So to get even with them, you misrepresent or slander them with words that are intentionally destructive and malicious. Repeating gossip. Gossip, by definition, is the unnecessary bearing of information, especially when it's not true. But gossip falls into this category. Before you ever repeat information to someone else, stop and think. The word think is actually the way I will use it tonight is an acronym. The word T, first of all, you would want to say, is it true? The second, is it helpful? The third, is it inspiring? The fourth, is it necessary? And the fifth, is it kind? Do you all see the word think vertically? When you want to tell something about someone else, use that as a standard. The quickest way to determine if someone is spreading gossip is to ask, may I quote you on that? I need to remember that. Um, I hear stuff pretty frequently on a pretty regular basis. People come and tell me stuff about other people. I need to start asking that question. Can I quote you on that? Oh, Pastor, it'd be better not. It'd be better if this just stayed between us. Uh, We need to keep that in mind. You'll notice hesitation because nobody wants to be responsible for a rumor. Gossips, people who gossip are like verbal terrorists. They throw their bombs into the public square and then run away hiding, ducking accountability. And that is a fact. And then when you confront someone on it, they'll say, I never said that. The wise man said in Proverbs 26, where no wood is, there the fire goes out. So where there is no talebearer or gossip, the strife ceases. 
Isn't that amazing? Very wise statement. Some people protest and say, I'm not gossiping because my information is true. But the Bible takes a different point of view on that. In Proverbs 17, the Bible said, He that covereth a transgression seeks love, but he that repeateth a matter separates friends. So it doesn't matter how true what you say may be. If you're causing division between other people, you're a gossip. And you have a malicious motive behind what you're doing. So the first kind of lie that we can talk about tonight is the cruel lie, and the motivation behind it is resentment. The second type of lie that we can tell is the cowardly lie, and the motivation behind it is fear. And this is a kind of lie you tell to escape consequences. I think spouses do this a lot. I think children can do this a lot towards their parents. I don't want to suffer the consequences about what I've done, so I'm just going to lie about it. So you do it to escape consequences. You do it to avoid punishment or to protect yourself. Adam told this kind of a lie in the Garden of Eden when he sinned. He said, I hid myself because I was afraid. Many people tell this kind of lie to cope with the peer pressure of one kind or another. Also, when people say, I can't, and I hear this pretty regular, people say, no, I can't do that, when really what they're saying is, I don't want to, and it's a cowardly lie. I also hear people say sometimes that, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, yeah, I'll take care of that, knowing full good and well they're not. They just say that to get out of the moment. Uh, either way, it's a lie. The following quotes from the Toronto newspaper a number of years ago are actual statements that come from insurance forms having to do with traffic, traffic accidents. Drivers are trying to summarize accident details in as few words as possible and trying to avoid admitting guilt at the same time. And that's not an easy task, as we can all understand. Somebody said, coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I didn't have. That's just a personification of intelligence right there, I promise you. Somebody said, the other car collided with mine without giving warning of its intent. Somebody said, I collided with a stationary truck coming the other way. Somebody said, I, in my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. They said, I had been shopping for plants all day. And was on my way home, and as I reached an intersection, a hedge sprang up, obscuring my vision, and I did not see the other car. One person said, my car was legally parked as it backed into the other vehicle. Somebody said, as I approached the intersection, a sign suddenly appeared in a place where no sign had ever appeared before, making me unable to avoid the accident. It's amazing what people will do when they lie, isn't it? <clears throat> or when they want to get out of a bad spot. Somebody said, I told the police I was not injured, but upon removing my hat, I found that I had a fractured skull. Somebody said, a pedestrian hit me and went under my car. Somebody said, the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. Somebody said an invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. 
Somebody said the pedestrian had no idea which way to run, so I ran over him. <laughs> Fellow said, I have been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. And for Sister Nixon here tonight, somebody said, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> I had to include that. I almost scratched it out, and I said, no. But I know somebody else on the platform that could apply that to his mother-in-law, probably. I'll go ahead and throw him under the... Dallas isn't married, so uh, don't look around at Dallas, so... The wise man said in Proverbs 29, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The third kind of lie that we can tell tonight is the conceited lie. The conceited lie. And the motivation behind it is insecurity. This is a kind of lie you tell to impress others. Oh my. Boy, you'll never believe what I can do. If it wouldn't intimidate God, I'd throw another moon out in space. Just hear all kind of amazing things people try to say to impress other people. They'll try to impress others, create an image, brag, or cover up low self-esteem, which I think is a bottom line issue. But when you exaggerate to prop yourself up, it comes off to others as pride and ego. But what, is, but what it really is... Is when you get behind the facade of is an insecure person that doesn't see himself as good enough. Forty percent of Americans admit to exaggerating on their resumes for this very reason. Or they'll exaggerate their abilities to get a job or promotion. We we commonly exaggerate stories to make them more interesting. You know, it's the old fisherman story. Fish I caught was this long. And the second time he tells a story, the fish is that long and the third time he tells it, it's that long, and pretty soon he couldn't even get it in his car. And, and I've heard deer describe their, their antlers on top of their head. They'd almost have to be a freak of nature. I killed a 458-point buck the other day. Like, no, you didn't. Uh, we get the point, but we, we love the, the fisherman's story. But oftentimes, we want to cover up insecurity and to look better in front of people than what we really are sir walter riley called flatterers the worst kind of traitors for they strengthen our imperfections and correct in us nothing um we hear it out of kids you can hear it out of your spouse when they walk up and and they'll just just on and on about themselves and how wonderful and how wonderful and you know something else is coming down the pike the fourth kind of lie that we can tell is the calculated lie. And the motivation behind it is selfishness. And this is a kind of lie you tell to manipulate other people. To get your own way at any cost. It's the wife walking up to her husband. Saying, oh honey, you are so handsome. You're the most handsome man. Fellas, if you ever hear that, know you're about to be duped by something. If something's coming behind that. Um, but people will do that to try to manipulate and to, to get what they want out of you. So anytime you lead a person to believe something about him or her that isn't true and you keep him or her from dealing bravely and correctly with the truth, then you have, you have served to that person 
and injustice. The wise man said, A lying tongue hates those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Uh, Paul said to the church at Rome, For they that are such uh, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And I want to tell you, folks, there's nothing more degrading to me than to be lied to and duped by somebody that took advantage of perhaps being naive or wanting to trust in them or wanting to believe in them or whatever. But people that tell the calculated lie are bottom line selfish people, uh, very self-centered people. The fifth lie that we will often or sometimes tell is the convenient lie, and the motivation behind it is laziness. This is a kind of lie you tell to, to avoid involvement simply because it takes time and effort to tell the truth. It is a pattern of lying that is easy to fall into social situations, and it's often called diplomacy. But if you, can, but if you tell an untruth or stretch the truth to be tactful, it's lying. You never achieve a right result with the wrong action. The psalmist said in Psalm 34, What man is he that desires life and loves many ways or many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. So these are five ways that we can be caught very easily and tempted very easily to tell a lie. Um, I'll be transparent here tonight. Oftentimes, it's not that it's not always convenient to tell the truth. It's always convenient to be honest. But sometimes people can't handle truth. And our society has produced that. If you are offensive to someone and and they ask you, are you being offensive? It's hard to tell that person the truth. It's If someone's not doing a good job, sometimes it's hard to tell them the truth. If they're because you don't want to hurt their feelings. And we've developed this, this environment, this, this climate, especially in the church arena, where oftentimes it's hard to be, to be truth with, truthful with people is because they have such a hard time receiving it or accepting it. And I think we need to understand, when, and I'm going to talk about this in just a moment, there are ways to tell the truth and not be brash and not be harsh and what have you. There are ways to do that, and I think we need to understand that. To be honest with somebody, to be cruel for the sake of being cruel is not always a good thing. I do think we need to understand people's feelings. So if you you want to tell the truth, you have to tell the truth. But there are ways to convey it without destroying people. And I think we need to understand that. So I want to delve into that tonight, and and I'd like for you to get your head around what I'm about to say there's four ways that we must speak the truth. Number one, you tell truth completely. One translation of Proverbs 10:10 says, "Someone who holds back the truth causes trouble. People who hold back truth causes trouble. When you conceal the truth, you cause resentment, you cause mistrust and superficiality. In your relationships, it's when you don't tell the truth and the truth is later discovered that makes you look weak, it makes you look incompetent, it makes you look deceitful, dishonest, 
And I believe that's where we need to be careful. It's important that we speak the truth. If you don't face issues eventually in a relationship, eventually emotions will explode, especially when the truth is discovered. So if you're not being honest about your feelings, for example, in your marriage or even as a parent, you're undermining your family. You're undermining your marriage. It may be unpleasant to confront it first, but if it helps a person change their character for the better, they'll appreciate it in the long run. Now, I'm talking about, we should be honest at all times, but especially when it comes to very hurtful issues of immorality, of habits, of lifestyles, uh, things that could surface at any time, at any point in the future. Um, Somebody said one time, and and I want to be very careful in this part of the Bible study, and it's really what I've come to talk to you about tonight. But if you have a secret and anyone else knows it besides you, you're always vulnerable to the exposure of it. Sometimes it's best just to go ahead and get it out. Do what you got to do to work it out with the people. And as the old saying goes, sometimes let the chips fall where they may. But I want to encourage Grace Church here tonight. And, and I know there's a lot of our folks that are absent. Hopefully they'll, they're listening to it right now or they will later. But when truth is spoken and we know it's truth, we have to be willing to accept that. And I know that, especially in the, in the marital arena, that spouses do things sometimes that's not appropriate, that's not honest. Uh, there may be even infidelity, what have you. At some point, there, there's very few people that ever go to the grave with all of their secrets buried with them. And if, if your spouse or your family member, could be a sibling, a parent, somebody, comes to you and says, we need to have a talk. I want to do everything in my power tonight as pastor to encourage you to receive that truth from that person in the spirit in which it should be received. The epitome of Christianity sometimes, well, all the time, is telling the truth. It's epitome of Christianity is being honest. But also there's a flip side to that in Christianity is allowing people to be honest. You know, if, 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 if your child, for example, tells you the truth and you slap them up against the wall, they're going to be real hesitant to tell you the truth again because they can't suffer the consequences of it. They can't bear the consequences of it. And I think it's real important for you and I as Christian people when we hear truth, when you hear truth from the pastor, don't let it offend you. Receive it. Digest it. Mull it over. Take it into your being. If it's true, if it's biblical truths, then you alter your life, you change your life to adjust to that. If it's not applicable to you, don't worry about it. But we need to be open. If we're going to be truth-based people, and if we want to be people who tell the truth, we also have to be people who can listen to the truth. Does everybody understand that? 
So if your spouse wants to come in and tell you something or confess something or get something off of their chest, they're going to be terrified by your reaction. It could mean divorce. It could mean abuse. It could mean you being shut out of their life for the next month. It could mean anything. And I'm speaking to the person right now that's going to hear that. That's where you need to bow up and be the proverbial big boy and let the person say what they need to say and respond to them appropriately. I've had spouses confide in me things. And I asked them, have you told your spouse about it? No, I'm terrified as to what they'll do. So I'm encouraging you folks here tonight. Look, you don't know what you're going to find out about your spouse tomorrow. I'm not on a witch hunt here tonight. I'm I'm just trying to have you understand some biblical principle here. Imagine what Jesus has heard since the gift of repentance was given to mankind. Can you imagine What Jesus has heard at people who's bending their knee at an altar, sobbing a pool of tears and saying, God, I did this and I'm sorry. Can you imagine what he's heard and how did he respond? We're all still here, aren't we? What did he say the last time you repented of your sin? I forgive you. It's hard because our transgressions If they're against anyone else or anything else, they're also against God. Any transgression we commit, it's not just against your spouse or your children or your parents. It's against God as well. And when you ask him and you tell him what you've done, and he says, I forgive you. Now, sometimes there are consequences. I'm not saying here tonight that if if a mass murderer or serial killer says, hey, I'm sorry and I want you all to forgive me, and we say you're forgiven and going about your business, no, there's consequences. But nobody's entitled to not forgive. Nobody's entitled to hold a grudge. Nobody's entitled to do that. So as you learn truth from someone who is openly, sincerely sharing with you truth, hear it like Jesus would. So, let's continue four ways that we must speak the truth. You tell the truth completely. It may be unpleasant and what have you, but if it helps make the situation better, if it can soothe the conscience, if it can Get rid of feelings of guilt, especially when there's forgiveness given. Then you offer to the confessor an opportunity for growth and to change their life and so on. The wise man said in the New uh, Living Translation, in the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. So you want to tell the truth completely. Number two, you want to tell the truth consistently. Paul said in the Amplified Version, has it in Ephesians 4.15, Let our lives lovingly express the truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Being honest 90% of the time is not integrity. It's like the boy who cried wolf. Eventually you don't know whether a person is telling the truth or not, so you don't believe them any of the time. And I'll be honest with you here tonight. I know people like that. They've lied just enough. 
whatever percentage you want to put in that blank, but they've lied just enough that if, if they tell you anything, you need to affirm it with someone else who knows them very well. It's hard to take people at face value that have a propensity to lie when they're caught in a pinch. Honesty must be a lifestyle. Nobody has a good enough memory to be a good liar. Lying sabotages success. Lying destroys relationships. And lying damages character. Every relationship is built on one single word. Every relationship is built on one single word. And that's the word trust. And we all know that once trust is broken, it's virtually impossible to get it back. It takes a strong effort of discipline from the person who's been betrayed to trust you again. And eventually, if a person is dishonest long enough, they will end up with no relationships with anybody because no one can trust them. So it's important that you tell the whole truth. You tell the truth completely. And then number three is you tell the truth lovingly. The Bible said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, that it may minister grace to the people that's listening to you. The truth is never to be used as a club to beat people with. If someone comes to you and says, hey, I did this, I want, to, I want to be truthful, I want to be honest, it is not your prerogative to hold that over their head for the rest of their life and remind them of it frequently. If it does, you're as much of a coward as they are, in my opinion. I'm glad God don't do that. Being honest does not mean being brutal. In the words of an old era proverb, when you shoot an arrow, it says, dip it in honey first. As Paul, we need to speak what is helpful, what builds others up, what meets others' needs, and what is beneficial. I'm going to be honest here tonight. It's hard in any human being to be this way. The handful of people that I know that way a lot of times are annoying because they're just always nice. They're just all the time nice. And you're thinking after a while, okay, there's a heathen in there somewhere. It's got to be. You know what I'm talking about here tonight. But it's hard sometimes to just always be that kind, nice, sweet person. Look, we're all in pursuit of, crea- of Christianity. And I'm not going to stand here and try to give anybody the impression that I've got all these things intact myself. I'm as human as anybody in this building. And it's hard sometimes to hear the truth, to speak the truth, to hear the truth, and to respond to it properly. I'm sure there's, if we're a normal congregation here tonight, I'm sure there's people here that you would like to help change to be a better person. Don't point right now. <clears throat> if you really want to help them and not yourself, remember this. If you really want to try to help somebody here tonight, people change easier and faster when you speak truth in a spirit of love and kindness. People always perceive truth without love as an attack on them, which causes them to resist it and become defensive. And that is so true. So how do I know if I'm speaking the truth in a spirit of love? Ask yourself one question. In my conversation of truth, who am I trying to benefit? 
Some couples come for counseling repeatedly with the same old problem, saying we just can't make any progress. In such cases, someone is not telling the truth completely or consistently or lovingly. If you are, then you should be making progress. Couples, I say this often, and this is one thing that I have virtually mastered in this whole entire Bible study, and that is beware of absolute statements and exaggerations when you are in conflict or confrontation or in conversation. There are always a problematic area of truthfulness for most people, and these statements of absolute and they are exaggerated statements, always polarize a conversation and prohibit construction, a constructive communication. It's for the married couple that says, the wife tells the husband, you never say you love me. And I remind Sister Murphy, I did the night we got married. And, you know, if anything changes, I'll let you know, you know. You never help me clean up the house. You never help me wash the car. You never watch the kids. Well, that causes the other person to start doing this long trip down memory lane and start thinking of every case they can think of to prove that, yes, I did. Remember back in 1982, you went somewhere for five minutes and I kept the kids that time. So I do keep the kids. But you understand when you do this this all-inclusive, absolute statements and exaggerations that you never do that, or the flip side of it is you always do that. You are always disgusting. You are always despicable. You always stink. Whatever you want to put in that bracket. If they're not true statements, then don't make them because you lie. Everybody said amen. So real communication plus real determination equals progress. Real communication plus real determination equals progress. The wise man said, A wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is health. The fourth thing you want to do in the portrayal of truth is to tell the truth tactfully. The wise man said, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health or healthy. So there are ways you can say things. It's like a sledgehammer. There's other ways you can say things. It's like a velvet glove, but you're saying the same thing. Whenever you have to share a tough truth, the solution is never deception. It is tact. It's being appropriate in what you're about to say. The truth does set you free, but remember that you have an option with your words. You can hurt with your words or you can heal with your words. You can devastate people with your words or you can help develop people with your words. You can tear people down or you can build people up with your words. Your attitude and presentation of the truth is of utmost importance. Honesty means that everything you say must be true, not that everything true must be said. You know, I I say this, and it's a a real loose term, but sometimes we need to learn just to keep our dumb mouth shut. Sometimes you'll just be better off just to just shut up without being told. And when you're told to do it, it has a a whole other reaction applied to that. But 
Sometimes it's just better not to embellish, not to go on repeating. And I will tell you conversations that I have with people, repetition doesn't work with me. Telling me three times doesn't make me understand better. It gets me very annoyed. I heard you the first time. And I don't need for you to tell me the exact same thing two more times. I know people that will make one statement and then just mix up the words and then say it again. And they mix up the words. And I, I got the point. I understand. I, I know what you're saying. You can cover more ground by not repeating. Anyway, that's just my personal point of view. But again, I want to emphasize that honesty means that everything you say must be true, but not everything true has to be said all the time. You can say things and get your point across and let healing begin. If what I'm saying were not true, then no eulogy could be given without without upsetting the family. You speak the truth all the time, but everything that's true don't have to be said. And thank God it's that way, or it's not that way at a funeral. I've done eulogies before about people when I could have said a whole lot of stuff. And there's a few people here tonight, if you get me irritated enough, God bless you at your funeral. No, I'm kidding. That's just, um, but you can. there's things that you can say about people that are kind and truthful. But you don't have to beat people up either. You don't have to be a sledgehammer either. I hope what I'm saying tonight makes sense. A songwriter said, somebody wrote in a song one time, the kindest word is an unkind word never spoken. So learn how to make a point without making an enemy. Plan your presentation. Contemplate before you communicate. Put your mind in gear before you put your mouth in motion. Timing oftentimes and the resolution of something going on in your life, timing oftentimes is everything. Timing is important. You know, the time you want to tell your husband you went on a spending spree and spent $400 y'all didn't have is not when he's up under the car changing the oil. That's just not a good time. He will kill himself trying to get out from under it and pour oil all over the driveway. Then you made him out. Wait till he comes out and gets cleaned up and, honey, sit down, I'll fix you a cup of coffee and then confess your deed of evilness. Does everybody understand? Timing is everything. You, you don't necessarily come in one night late and wake your wife up out of a deep sleep and say, Honey, you'll never believe what I did today. The timing's not good, man. She's going to be cranky and grumpy, and you're not going to get a good result. You have to be careful in your motivation with telling the truth. Who are you trying to benefit? If you just want to dump a bunch of load of garbage on someone else to make you feel better, That's not always truth-telling. It may be, but you're not going to get the result you want out of it. And I hope everybody understands this tonight. The Bible said in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, there's a right time and a right way to do everything. A right time and a right way to do everything. So in conclusion tonight, let me quickly give you the cure for lying. If you really want to change... You must realize that the beginning of honesty is the confession of dishonesty. The starting, that's the starting point, and you must admit that you are a liar. I'm a liar. Just go ahead and say it. It's hard. How many, how many lies does it take to make a person a liar? 
right? So God helped me to be more interested in character than reputation, if you want to stop lying. I'm more concerned about my character than my reputation. Reputation is what others think I am. Character is what I really am. Reputation is what I am when others are looking. Character is what I am when no one is looking. Reputation will last for a lifetime, but character will last for an eternity. Reputation is what impresses people. Character is what impresses God. Who are you impressing tonight? People lie all the time to build their reputation, not realizing that they are simultaneously destroying their character. Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can you... How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Jesus said that what's in your heart is what's going to come out of your mouth. So when it comes to lying, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And if I'm going to be an honest person, I have to deal with not my mouth, but my motivation. I have to deal with my heart. If my heart is filled with resentment, I will end up telling cruel lies. If my heart is filled with fear, I will end up telling cowardly lies. If my heart is filled with insecurity, I will end up telling conceited lies. If my heart is filled with selfishness, I will end up telling calculated lies. Or if my heart is filled with laziness, I will end up telling convenient lies. The only way to stop lying is to get a new heart. And Jesus specializes in heart transplants. I want to say the most, the, the, the most beneficial way to make the gospel effective is to let it begin in your own life and then in your home and your family and then let it go out from there. And if we're not honest at home, it's really fruitless to be honest anywhere else. We have to be honest all the time, folks. We have to be honest with everybody, including our family, our spouse, our children, our parents, and what have you. And nobody's perfect in this area, but I think we ought to all strive to be honest and to be what God wants us to be. And everybody said amen. So can you truthfully look at the person sitting next to you tonight and say you really look nice tonight? I'm watching folks here tonight and they're saying nothing. So now we know. There's a husband here tonight. I just said, just said he watched him and he didn't say one word to his wife. So whoever you are, your husband does not think you look nice. So I thought I'd leave you guys on a real beneficial positive note so you can go home and discuss why you don't think I look nice tonight. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. I love Grace Church. Love all of you. God bless you. Walk around the building and greet one another. Be honest. Be honest in your terms and words of affection and what have you. We'll see you Sunday morning. God bless tonight.